Last week I began making my way through Laura Hildebrand's book, Sea Biscuits, listening to, uh, on, listening to it as an audiobook. Sea Biscuit was a racing horse of the 1930s and 40s. I was going to ask you to raise your hand if you ever saw Sea Biscuit live, but I won't do that this morning. Throughout his early years and first races there was of this racehorse, there were very little there was very little consistency in his, in his racing. The rider would mount, get the horse up to speed, but the horse had a mind of its own, kind of known for that, had the reputation for that, would often let up the speed and allow other horses to race right, right past. Eventually, he was trained to maintain momentum throughout the race, and ended up breaking world records for speed on racetracks. It's one thing for a racehorse to run fast for part of a race. It's quite another for the horse to maintain that speed for the entirety of the race. There are some things in this life that we find hard, that we find challenging, that we find difficult to maintain. And maybe you have no trouble maintaining speed when you're behind the wheel of your vehicle. But there are things that we find that are difficult and challenging to maintain as we follow Christ, for instance, in our walk with the Lord. And that's the exhortation that we have this morning in our study in the book of Joshua. So if you've not done so yet, would you please find Joshua chapter 23 in your copy of God's Holy Word. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 185. Joshua is part of the Christian Old Testament. The Old Testament records God's work in the world prior to him sending his son to the earth. So the New Testament picks up where Christ was born and the, the incarnation of Christ and then the church being born after that. Today we will study Joshua chapter 23. and That's what we do as Christians. We open God's word, we read God's word, and we study God's word. That's what God has called us to do as the people of Harvest Bible Church. For the sake of kind of organizing our thoughts as we've been going through this study, and we have two more studies, Lord willing, after today, we've, we've organized our thoughts around four divisions of this historical book. The first five chapters record for us how Israel entered into the promised land. Chapters 6 through 12 record for us how they fought for the promised land. Chapters 13 through 21 were those, those many chapters of, of hundreds of details, of boundaries, of, of the distributing of the promised land. And then chapter 22, 23, and 24 have some admonishments regarding the promised land. Last week we looked at chapter 22, which relays to us a kind of a fiery brouhaha between the eastern tribes and the western tribes, a misunderstanding of the tribes of Israel. And it, and it taught us that the, that, the, that the truth of God unites the children of God in corporate worship of God. And so it was all about uh, being united in, in our devotion to God. And now in these final two chapters, we have two farewell speeches from Joshua, the leader of the children of Israel. Uh, the first is, is in, in chapter 23, and the second is in chapter 24. The first is, is pastoral in nature. The second is more systematic the first was given to the leaders of Israel, and the second farewell speech seems to be given to the whole nation. The first farewell speech was, de was delivered at Shiloh, which was at that point the center of religious activity for the nation. 
And the second speech seems to be to have been delivered at Shechem. The first is a little bit more informal, and the second is a little bit more formal. If chapter 22 was about the unity of our devotion to our promise-keeping God, then chapter 23 in this farewell speech is about maintaining that devotion to our promise-keeping God. Now, if you've come into this gathering as a non-Christian, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you have not been born again, you obviously cannot maintain devotion to God if you never had any devotion to Him to begin with. Today's study, as we look through Joshua 23, it presents to you the only God that is truly worthy of all of your worship. The only God that is worthy and demanding of your wholehearted devotion to Him. So my prayer for you, if you're not a believer, is that you'll, you'll heed the, the glorious message of, of Joshua 23, that you'll see the glory of, of God, and that you will believe in Him as you listen today. Christian, for you, we've, we've gone through another week of, of spiritual ups and downs, haven't we? We've had some successes in our walk with God, and we've had some failures since we last gathered together. Our study today calls us back to godly living that reflects the foundational transformation that the gospel has made in our lives when God drew us to himself in salvation. The fact of the matter is this. Every one of us that calls ourselves a child of God has a natural bent toward waning in our devotion to him. Every one of us who calls ourselves professes faith in Jesus, calls herself a child of God, has a natural bent towards not maintaining our devotion to our promise-keeping God. God uses multiple means to recalibrate our hearts and our minds. Today, He is using His Spirit that He has placed within believers. He's using His Word, and He's using the church to convict us of sin, to set us apart towards godliness, and to remind us that His grace has planned it, planned it all. Maintaining devotion to God is more challenging than you realize, but failing to do so is more tragic than you can bear. There are specific ways that this passage calls us to continue in our devotion to God. There are really actions that we can take in maintaining our devotion to Him. First, in the, in the first five verses, we see that we are called to the action to remember God's work. Would you follow along as I read Joshua 23, the first five verses? And it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And Joshua called for all of Israel and for their elders and for their heads, for their judges and for their officers. And he said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. And ye have seen all that the Lord your God has done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan 
with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. And ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised unto you. This first speech is given to the leaders of Israel. The leaders were the ones who taught Israel. The leaders were the ones who exercised authority in the people, among the people of, of Israel. The leaders has, had a special responsibility to guide the nation towards uh, spiritual health and faithfulness. The leaders were the ones who were responsible to help uh, Israel maintain a devotion to the Lord their God. They were to guard. They were to do all of this so that the next generation would continue in devotion to Jehovah God alone. A singular focus, a singular devotion, a maintained devotion to this God who has kept so many promises. Friends, this is a good reminder to our own congregation as we consider over the next several weeks the opportunity that we have to elect deacons and elders. This process is not to be taken lightly. It's a sobering responsibility that we have as leaders of this congregation. And as we put names forward, one of the things that should be on our mind is the next generation, the upcoming HBCers, their devotion, our continued devotion to the one true God. So it's to the leaders that Joshua gives this speech. Verse 1 he says, a long time after that, the Lord had given rest unto Israel. There seems to be a significant break of time between chapters 22 and chapter 23. This speech appears to have been given years after the distribution of the land that, that, that was recorded for us in chapters 13 through 21. Joshua was 110 years old when he died. If these speeches recorded in chapters 23 and 24 were close to his death then they were given approximately, he delivered these speeches approximately 25 years after the main events of the book, which we have already studied. Joshua begins his speech to the leaders by calling, for their mind, by calling to their minds all the things that God has done because of them, I think is what our translation says, or for their sake. He says God has done all of these things for you. God has fought for you. Look at verse number 3 again. And, he, and ye have seen all that the Lord your God has done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God ha is, it is he that has fought for you. They had been witnesses to what God had done. That's an important part of understanding this passage. They had seen with their own eyes. They had been firsthand witnesses to what God had done for them. Joshua wants the people of Israel, as, as, he's, getting, as he's waxing old, he says, as he's, as he's getting ready to, to depart from them, he wants them to remember that they themselves had seen God do some amazing things. Last Wednesday marked 18 years since the tragedy that scarred our nation on September the 11th of 2001. Every year, memories and fears and hurts and grief are again brought to the surface. Videos and articles and pictures reopen the wounds and, and also stir our, our patriotism. This year I, 
I read for the first time an account of someone who was one of the only survivors of the impact zone. He described where he was when the plane hit his office in the World Trade Center and the moments that followed that and his escape down the stairwell and out into the streets. It's one thing for us to watch on television and draw our own conclusions. It's quite a different thing to have experienced it yourself, to have been, a, been there to see it firsthand as a witness to the events, to have seen it with your own eyes. This is Joshua's point to the leaders of Israel. You have seen what the Lord your God has done. There have been military victories. You bear witness of those actions, pushing out the inhabitants. There has been an allotting of the land, partitioning of the land, receiving the inheritance that had been promised to generations, your forefathers, generations ahead of you. There had been a, a completion of the settlement. There was now rest from war. Joshua understood Joshua was clear to the children of Israel that if Israel was going to maintain their devotion to Jehovah God, then she needed to remember the work that God had done on her behalf. God's action for Israel in the past, God's action for Israel in the present, Joshua brings to mind that, he was, that God was still at work, that they were still watching God do work among them, and God's action for the future. Joshua not only recalls the blessings of, of God's past deliverance, but he also assures the people of the Lord's future help in driving out the nations that remain. You remember the altar that was built in, in, that, we, that we looked at last week in chapter number 22. There was the, the point of it was that they were to be unified in their worship, in their devotion to Jehovah God. But that devotion, not only to be, they did not, not only need to be united in their, their worship and their devotion to God, Joshua's goal was that, that that devotion would maintain. It would continue for years to come. We, too, have been witnesses to the amazing work of God. We weren't there as first-hand witnesses to see the Jordan waters split. We did not see the walls of Jericho fall or the people of Ai flee. But we have record of all of it right here in God's Word. This is what we are to remember. We have seen with our own eyes how God has answered our prayers. When we gather on Wednesday nights, we have a prayer guide that helps us rem remember who we're praying for, what we can be praying about. There, on the back side, there are people there who do not yet know Christ, that we have prayed for, that they would come to know Jesus as their Savior. We have taken people off that list because God in His grace has chosen to rescue them from their sin. We have seen God answer other prayers uh, of physical needs and provision within our own congregation. We have seen God work in our congregation in providing a facility for worship over and over, several times in, in our 18-year history. We have been witnesses as a congregation and then individually of God's faithful work in our life. One commentator put it this way, What is dull about a God who became flesh, who did what no one had ever done, perfectly kept the law, who became the God-forsaken one in my place, who trampled all over death, who reigns now over the universe. This faith we must teach to our children. This is what Joshua was bringing to their minds. Look what God has done. Teach this to your children. It's certainly possible that a faithless generation 
can follow a faithful generation. It's possible that we can do our best to speak of what God has done, and yet the generation behind us would be faithless and, and, and not maintain their devotion to God. But at the very least, we ought to do our best as speaking and calling to their mind what God has done, whether or not that next generation heeds it or refuses it. If we want the next generation of HBC to maintain devotion to God, if you want your own children or your grandchildren to continue in the things that they have learned, then we must be faithful to remember what God has done in the past. Speak of God's work in your life. We are a forgetful people. Joshua knew that Israel would be forgetful. And that's why his exhortation to the leaders was, don't forget, you must remember what God has done. The second Joshua, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, also knew that we would be forgetful people. So he established an ordinance for the New Testament church to practice. It's a time of communion. It's a time where we come and we share bread and juice to remember the work of Christ, that he gave of his body, that he spilled his blood, that we might have that we might be ransomed, that we might be redeemed back to God. Take those monthly times seriously. It's not a ritualistic practice. It's not just a tradition. It's a time where we re remind ourselves of Christ's past work for us, which points to his future work for us. Another opportunity that we have as a congregation to remember God's work in our past is in our gatherings in connection groups. In those smaller gatherings, we're able to share, hey, last month, two months, for the last six months, we've been praying for so-and-so to get a job. Friends, God has answered your prayer. God has worked. He has provided this job for me. We can encourage one another with, with work that God is doing in our own lives or work that God has done in the lives of, of countless men and women throughout the Scriptures. It's an opportunity for us to remember the past work of God. We sang it this morning, Oh God, our help in ages past our hope for years to come. Friends, let us give time. Let us give energy to remembering God's work. This action will help us in maintaining our devotion to God. If God has done this for us in the past, there is nothing too hard for Him to accomplish in our future. Maintaining devotion to God is more challenging than you realize. But failing to do so is more tragic than you can bear. One of the actions that helps us to maintain our devotion to God is to remember God's work in the past. A second action to help us stay alert to God is to love God's ways. Look now at verse number 6. Be therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. They turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. They come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. But cleave unto the Lord your God, as ye have done unto this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great nations and strong. But as for you, no man has been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, 
He it is that fights for you as he promised you. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Else, if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them and they unto you, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Verses 6 and 7 emphasize our love for God. Israel's success was dependence on their obedience and their, the centrality of the law in their lives. The law, the Word of God, was foundational to knowing and loving God. This is why Joshua admonishes Israel towards a separation from the worldly influences around them. Joshua told them not to come among these nations. Other translations say, do not mix or associate with these nations. Joshua says that they were not to intermarry with them. This was not talking about a problem of racial or ethnic intermarriage. Rather, it was talking about a child of God being united to somebody that was not a child of God. The concern was that, there, that someone's heart would be drawn away from devotion to the one true God. Last week, I sat down with a young lady and a young gentleman who were getting married in December. The first thing I did was to hear how they came to Christ, that they are indeed children of God. I cannot officiate a union of a believer to an unbeliever. God has made that black and white clear in his word. He has made clear to us the drastic effects that results of a believer marrying an unbeliever. God has given clear commands. The people of the land were idolatrous. They were corrupt. And that is why God had ordered Israel to, to destroy them in the first place. Marriage to them would end with Israelites' hearts being drawn away from the, their own devotion to Jehovah God. The sin of, of faithlessness and intermarriage with, with unbelievers would void God's promise to the nation of Israel to continue to drive out any remnants that were there. The Israelites were to keep themselves uncontaminated by the nations around them. Friend, loving God's ways not only comes as we separate from the world, but it also comes as we cling to God. Did you see number, verse number 8? He says, verses 6 and 7, don't associate, don't get caught up with the world, the influences around you. Verse 8, but cleave unto the Lord your God. Cling to God. Hold fast to God. Israel is to cling firmly to the Lord their God. Clinging or cleaving to God is an often repeated theme in the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 4, verse 4. But you hold fast to the Lord your God, all, all you who are alive today. Chapter 10, verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. Deuteronomy 13, 4. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Joshua was calling Israel to love God's ways by heeding God's law, by separating from the world, and by holding fast to God. Did you see verse 11? Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Some translations say, be careful 
about loving. Be careful that you love the Lord your God. This is the crux of the passage. Love God. Be careful to love God. This is the first commandment that Jesus gave when he was asked. Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. Loving God is an exclusive thing. It's a devotion. It's, it's, a, it's a dedication to the God who has worked on your behalf. You want to know why sometimes you lack devotion to God in your walk with Him? You want to know why your devotion to God looks kind of crummy? Because you're not careful to love the Lord your God. We haven't put separation between us and the world. Instead, we are enamored with the things of this world. We're seduced by the pleasures of this world. We're obsessed with the priorities of this world system. But God's Word tells us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now this isn't talking about having no contact with the world, that, that we should somehow become our own little cult and hide away in, from the rest of society and have our own little community to ourselves. That's not what that verse means. Rather, it's saying that our lives should not be contaminated with the thoughts and the attitudes and the behaviors of the world system that is cursed with sin. Don't be squeezed into the, to the mold of the world. Don't be conformed to this world. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. James says, if anyone is truly religious, let him keep himself unstained from the world. So we come to church on Sunday and we sing praises to God. And then we look at porn on Monday. We lay up for ourselves treasures on earth instead of in heaven where it will not be corrupted. We believe the lies of Satan because there's pleasure in sin for a short time. We let the attitudes of this godless world invade our hearts and our minds. You want to know why you might not be evangelistic? Why you don't share the good news? You love the world more than you love the Lord. Kevin DeYoung said it this way, We are all natural evangelists for the things that we love most. And when we love the Lord Jesus, we talk about Him. Do you love the Lord Jesus? So if you aren't talking about him, maybe you should ask yourself, do I love Jesus? The next generation of Israelites would not maintain their devotion to, to Jehovah God if they didn't continue to love God's ways by separating from the world system, by obeying the law of God, and by clinging, by holding fast to him. Likewise, the next generation of Christians has a better shot of maintaining their devotion to God if they see us separating from the world system, not being conformed to the world, by obeying the word of God, by holding fast to God alone. You want to know why many kids who grow up in Christian homes and conservative Christian churches jettison the faith? You want to know why some kids walk away from the faith they've seen their parents live out? It's not because they started listening to the latest Christian music. It's not because they follow the latest fashion trends. They tell us that it's because of the hypocrisy of those who call themselves Christians. They didn't see a genuine faith being lived out in the previous generation. They didn't see people clinging to God, separating from the world, obeying the word. Love God. Cling to God. Love God's word. Are you careful? Are you taking heed? Are you careful to love the Lord your God? Maintaining devotion to God 
is more challenging than you can realize. But failing to do so is more tragic than you can bear. One of the actions that helps us to maintain our devotion to God is to remember God's work. A second action to help us stay alert to God is to love God's ways. And and Joshua's farewell speech, he concludes his first farewell speech by giving us another action that is to revere God's covenant. Joshua says, I'm about to die. I'm about to go the way of the earth, so hear this. Fear God. Now this was more than just love God's ways. This was fear God. Revere God. Specifically, fear, revere the covenant that God had made with them. Notice the times, the multiple times here in these verses as we read, God's, read verses 14, 15 and 16. We read of God's goodness to Israel. Look at verse 14. Joshua says, And behold, this day I'm going the way of the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing, not one thing, hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing has failed thereof. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things, even uh, until he have destroyed you from off the, the good land which the Lord your God has given you. When ye have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord has given unto you. Joshua wanted to remind the children of Israel of the Lord's goodness. We know of that. Psalm 34 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 100 verse 5, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Joshua was reminding Israel of the Lord's goodness in these final verses of this, this goodbye speech to the, to the leaders of the nation. And God has not changed since the day of Joshua. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God remains good today. But just as God is faithful in His goodness, Joshua told Israel that rejecting God would yield a drastic result. And they would see the faithfulness of God in judgment. God would not relax His standards even for His own people. If they obeyed, they would enjoy blessing. But if they disobeyed, they would suffer greatly. They would perish from the good land if they forsook the Lord. And this happened when Judah was carried into Babylonian captivity. These verses, these final three verses, teach us that God is faithful both in grace and in judgment. He is just in His covenant of blessing and in His covenant of judgment. I want to make very clear this morning that we believe in the perseverance of the saints, that those He saves are His delights. He will hold them fast. As a whole, the Bible presents a tension between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Joshua 23 puts the weight on man's responsibility. 
while other places in the Scriptures, while other passages, place the weight on God's sovereignty. It's not either or, it's both and. Joshua 23 tells us that failing to maintain devotion to God may, in fact, simply be evidence that you are not and never were a child of God. We cannot save ourselves, neither can we keep ourselves saved. God alone saves us, and God alone keeps us saved. But there is a personal responsibility that God's children have to follow Him, to revere Him, to have a reverence for the covenants that He has made with us. Christian, where in the world is our fear of God? If you have no reverence for the covenant of God, if you have no fear of God, you would do well to spend time this afternoon reading through, the, through chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews and asking God to open your eyes to truth. It is a warning about remaining faithful to Christ's covenant. Jesus came to the earth to live perfectly, never sinning once. He died in our place. All who repent of sin, all who believe in Him, will have life that lasts forever. Life that never ends. Glorious life. Paradise with Christ, with God, forever and ever. All who repent and believe. If you have never done that, if you don't know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be born again, I'm inviting you right now to call out to, to Jesus to be your Savior. If you have questions about that, talk with me after the service. Schedule a time to meet this week. We want you to understand the good news of Jesus Christ. Maintaining devotion to God is more challenging than you can realize but failing to do so is more tragic than you can bear. You see, anyone who does not fear God, anyone who does not have a reverence or revere the new covenant of Jesus Christ will experience death that lasts forever. Eternal punishments, just punishments for their sin. This is Joshua's warning to the people of Israel. A racing horse like Seabiscuit learned to sprint toward the finish line with great momentum, maintaining energy, maintaining speed, maintaining devotion to the task at hand. Harvest Bible Church, let's not meander. Let's not stroll across the finish line. Let's not be marked by the things and the attitudes and the pleasures of this world. Let's not be devoted in our time and our energy and our money to the, this temporary life that we are living on this earth. Instead, let us wholeheartedly sprint to the finish line. Let us go hard after Christ. Let's be faithful to evangelize the lost. Let us choose obedience to God because of what God has already done for us in the past. Let's, by the grace of God, lead the next generation to remembering God's work to loving God's ways and revering God's covenant. We want the next generation of HBCers to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's okay if the next generation of, of God's children does things differently than we do, but it's not okay if they fail to remember God. It's okay if the coming generation of God's children 
meets at 4 p.m. to worship God on the Lord's Day instead of at 10.30 a.m. But it's not okay if they fail to love God. It's okay if the next generation of God's children use a different Bible translation that we use, but it's not okay if they fail to revere God's holiness. Stay the course in your devotion to your promise-keeping God. Joshua, the servant of the Lord, at the end of his life says, maintaining your devotion to God comes as you remember God's work, as you love God's ways, as you revere God's covenants. So may God, in His grace, be pleased to allow the people of Harvest Bible Church not only to be unified in our devotion to our promise-keeping God, but also to help us maintain that devotion for generations to come or until Jesus comes again. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.